0: Welcome back to Home Studio Q&A, where I answer your questions about mobile and home recording. My name is Pete, and my passion is helping you create, record, and release your best music. And every week, I get a heap of questions, and I I came to the realisation that what I should do is instead of answering every question separately, which I still do, I should actually answer them here on the show each week. So that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be jumping in. We've got a heap of questions that have come in via Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, which we'll be talking about. And we are broadcasting live to YouTube and to Facebook. So if you are here live, get those questions ready and we will answer as many of them as we can get through in about the next 30 minutes. So that's the plan. And without any further ado, let's jump in and execute on that plan by answering our first question here, which we will bring up now. Uh, this is from Fine, who's had some great questions in in recent shows. Uh, will my Steinberg UR242 still work with iPads when Apple will release only tablets with USB-C ports in the future? Any working adapters for that compatibility? Hints. This is a great question. So, the to answer the question, yes, um, and it's actually a good good news for most folks in terms of compatibility because. What the the problem is, or the, the challenge at the moment, is that you need a genuine Apple Lightning to USB adapter. So if you're plugging in all, an audio interface into your iPhone or iPad, you need to get one of the genuine. Well, my recommendation is you get one of the genuine Lightning to USB 3 adapters, and that way you can actually plug in and have a reliable connection. And that's because the Lightning connector is a proprietary format. So you need one that's the MFI, the made for iPod, that's actually certified. The good news about USB-C is it is a more universal, a more uh, a more generic um, standard. So it means that you don't necessarily have to have all the genuine gear. So the short answer to this one, and folks that already have Generation 3 iPads, uh, sorry, Generation 3 iPad Pros will already know this, but you don't actually need any specific Apple connector or adapter. You can use basically any generic USB-C, uh, USB-C hub or adapter that you like. And then you can plug all of your gear in that way. So, yep, if you've got, and to be honest, it's why I recommend USB gear over Lightning-based gear. So I've got one Lightning, uh, one Lightning microphone, which is uh, the the Shure MV88, which I really like. Uh, but the benefit of having USB stuff is that you can just use a Lightning to USB adapter now, and then if you move to USB-C, you can use a USB to USB-C adapter. So, great question, and hopefully that helps out. But yeah, no fear, Uh, if uh, if and when we all move to USB-C, you you should be totally fine there. So, thank you again for the question. Let's move on to the next question, and I thought I'd do the double header here. We've got another question from Fine. And this one I get asked a lot, and it's actually related to the topic of today, which I've just realized that I didn't talk about up front. So there you go. you got one bonus question, and then we'll answer this, and then I'll talk about today's topic, which is audio versus MIDI. So the question here is, do MIDI controllers like the Persona's Fader Port work with GB for iOS? And the general answer is yes and no. <laughs> and I say yes and no, because um, iOS, and especially GarageBand on iOS, has a limited set of MIDI functions that it supports. Now, GarageBand in particular supports things like things like your notes, it supports uh, things like pitch bend, uh, it supports uh, sustain pedals, modulation wheel, uh, and the sensitivity of your keys, but that's kind of about it. So if you're looking for more, I guess, advanced features, so things like the Presonus fader port, if, you, if you're not familiar with that, what that does is it has transport controls, it has its own actual fader, so what you can do is select a track and then use an actual physical fader to to uh, change the track, to play, to record, to stop, all of the rest of it. So unfortunately, GarageBand, not the best for supporting those sort of things. However, uh, folks may be able to correct us here if there's, uh, I'm not sure if Cubasis or Aurea Pro or any of the other digital audio workstations on your iPhone or iPad, perhaps they would actually be able to support Uh, more advanced MIDI controllers. So if you know anything more about that, let me know and let us know and we will be able to answer that. Excuse me, a frog in the throat today as they say. Um, So we've got some other questions that we'll jump into but really quickly let's just touch on this topic of the day because I get a lot of questions and I did a video during the week this week about uh, recording your keyboard sound. So I, I plugged my digital piano into my iPad and I recorded that uh, the actual sound from the keyboard. And a lot of folks get confused, and I was definitely one of them when I first started recording, which is what is the difference between recording MIDI and recording audio? And it's, it's, they're actually very different, and the, the difference is quite simple. So here it is. If you're recording audio, you are sending the analog signal. So let's pretend, because I actually did it, you plug the headphone jack out of your keyboard and then you plug that into your interface and then you record that in your digital audio workstation. So whatever is playing on the keyboard, the synth, whatever instrument it is, that is being picked up and recorded as an analog waveform on your device or on your digital audio workstation. MIDI does something different. So when you've got MIDI, what that's doing is it's actually triggering the notes. So you're not there's it's not actually sending any audio. It's not sending any analog audio. It is sending ones and zeros. It's sending a digital signal, and that digital signal is just saying you're playing a C at this level of velocity. It then sends that to your digital audio workstation, and that then triggers whatever virtual instrument you've got selected to play a C at that specific volume. So that's all it is. You're not sending any audio you're only sending data, when you're sending MIDI, when you're sending audio, it's over an audio cable and it's gonna record that. What's better really depends on what you wanna do. Sometimes you want the original sound from your keyboard, you have got like an old Yamaha, an old synth that you wanna get the sound from, then you need to plug it straight in. If you don't care about that, you just wanna use whatever virtual instruments are in GarageBand or Cubasis or Pro Tools or whatever you're using, then you can actually use MIDI and get the sound that you want. So, uh, yeah, so I've got a few questions about that, and I thought uh, let's cover it as a topic today so that we can actually uh, get get that out there because I know it's it's a struggle for for some folks um, and definitely was for me early on, trying to understand the reason behind that. All right, let's jump into a couple more questions, then we'll see what we have here live from the folks who are watching here. So here's a question from Prince Prince. Uh, says, thanks for your demonstration. This is where I recorded four inputs at once and I showed a demo. Um, one more thing, I need your suggestion. What uh, what will the output of the iRig Pro Duo device for two-track recording? Can you give any suggestions on this? Thank you. Uh, so, yes. So this is... This is one that I've done a few demos on and I've used a few different bits of gear. Uh, so this is multi-track recording, and meaning you're recording more than one. So multi-track kind of has two reasons. There's multi-track overdubbing, which means that you're recording one track, then you play back that track and record a second track, then you play back those two tracks and record a third track. So we often call that multi-tracking, or if you're doing simultaneous multi-tracking, it means you're recording two or more inputs at the same time. So I've got a UR44, which has six inputs, so you can technically load up six tracks in your digital audio workstation, arm them all, and then record them all at once. Now, why would you do that? Well, if you've got a band, for instance, you may want to do that sort of thing. But what people commonly do, and most of your audio interfaces are two-channel. So the question that we have here is about the iRig Pro Duo, a two-channel interface. So with a two-channel interface, there's a couple of things you could do. You can record two microphones if you've got two mic inputs. So say you want to do a stereo microphone pair on your guitar, you can do that. Or if you want to record a microphone on your guitar, and one on your vocals, you can do that. You can also do two completely different things. So you've got, um, so your your guitar input that you want to record via your quarter-inch jack, you can record that on one and then a microphone on the other, or you can record just a stereo signal input. So that's what I did in my demo during the week with my Steinberg UR22C, is I recorded a stereo signal from the output, from the headphone jack of my piano, into my iPad using the Steinberg interface. So uh, yes, basically any two channel interface and pretty much any digital audio workstation, you can arm up multiple tracks, record them at the same time. So it's a super handy function. And even if you're only by yourself, you will find uses for that if you're a singer and guitarist, or if you just want to get some sort of stereo recording that can really help you out. Um, I've got now. This is a question that I get asked an awful lot, so I thought I'd throw it up here. This one came from uh, from my buddy to Accident on uh, on Instagram, and they said uh, I'd like to see how to use Mac OS GarageBand. And I do get a lot of Mac OS GarageBand questions because I use GarageBand on iPhone and iPad all the time. Uh, people make the logical conclusion or assumption that I use a Mac, and I actually don't. <laughs> I use a PC as well as an iPhone and an iPad. So I know that's a bit weird. My default answer to this is, yes, you need to go somewhere else. And the, the places I recommend, the GarageBand Guide. So my buddy Patrick over at GarageBand Guide does a great job. Uh, there's Dean Davis over at the Songwriters Studio, which is another great YouTube channel that you, you definitely want to check out. Lou and Barringer's been doing this sort of stuff for years over at GarageBand and beyond. So there's a heap of great GarageBand resources. And what I'd also recommend is go to either the GarageBand users Facebook group or the GarageBand Reddit group uh, and post some questions there and, and learn from from what folks are sharing there because yeah I don't I don't know about it but I know folks who do and uh, until I do finally bite the bullet and buy a Mac which I will have to do one day I think because I I'm just I'm curious I'm I'm not I'm Mac curious at the moment but I definitely don't have one at the moment. Um, let's continue on. And we'll jump into this one. Uh, by the way, some of these I haven't actually even read. That's why I'm sort of stumbling over some of them because I I haven't actually read them yet. I find it more fun sometimes to answer questions where I haven't even read the original. <laughs> so here's a question. Uh, I used to be able to listen to my recordings during recording with my iPad earbuds or headphones connected to the iPad, but I can't get it to work anymore. I'm using a 2i2, so that's a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2, Lightning to USB 3 adapter, Powered Hub, etc. Now, The answer to this one, there's more to the question, but the answer to this one, and it's one that I've had probably four to five times in the last couple of weeks, I wanted to make sure I covered this. Once you connect an audio interface to your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, your PC, it becomes the audio input as well as the audio output. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if you are playing back from your iPhone or iPad, it's not gonna play back through the headphone jack should you have one. I mean, a lot of iPhones don't even have one anyway, so you have no choice. But all of your audio interfaces will have a headphone output and even your USB microphones will have a headphone output. And what that does is it disables the output of the actual iPhone or iPad and it replaces it with the output on the interface. So it's a a bit of a trap that you'll be, if you're used to just using your phone or using your iPad or even your Mac or PC and using the headphone output from that, Once you plug in an audio interface, make sure you plug your headphones into the headphone jack of the audio interface and you will be good to go. So thank you to Hosma for that question, as well as other folks who've been asking that during the week. Uh, I hope that helped you out. Radio, let's jump in and say hello. We've got some great folks here. We've got Sama, we've got Keep Gang, we've got Sebastian, Baba, Solrack M7, uh, Benedict Stewart is here. Uh, we've got a heap of folks with a heap of questions, including uh, one from, I did see it a moment ago, Johan Olivier. Uh, welcome to you. Great to have you here on the show. Johan says, I downloaded iMovie, but when I want to share a GB project to iMovie, it does not show as an option. Can you advise what I am missing? Yeah, so a lot of the share features in iOS 13 have become a little bit weird and corrupt and strange. So here's what I suggest, is that when you go to your GarageBand, and I do need to do an updated video on this, so watch this space for that. But when you're in GarageBand, when you want to send it to iMovie, the the way that I do it, to be perfectly honest, is I export it as a WAV file, and then I just import that WAV file into uh, GarageBand. I find that the cleanest way, but if you do want to try and send it, make sure that you do open in first and then go to your second set of options and then you should be able to go to the app and select GarageBand from there. The problem at the moment is that when when you don't use Open In, if you try to save it straight out, so save to files or you try to send it directly to an app, it tends to fail and not actually send it properly. So that's my my tip there is to to uh, do Open In first when you're actually exporting, or like I say, do Open In and then save to files, put it somewhere, just save it somewhere on your iPhone or iPad, and that way you know you've got a high-quality WAV file version of your track, and then you can use it in iMovie, you can use it in whatever other app you want, and have a backup version of that as well. So that would be my tip for you. So uh, hopefully that helps. Uh, hello also to Achille, to Harry B, to Daniel. Dan, hello to you there. Um, I'll see if we've got any other questions from folks. Uh, here is one from Stumped Vibes. Can you use MIDI drum pads on GarageBand or set them up? And a good question considering the topic today and related to what I mentioned about the 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 tone port, no, no what was it called? Yeah, the uh, other MIDI controllers. Yes, you can use MIDI drums. The, the challenge is that you need to change everything at the hardware side. So for example, if you've got a MIDI drum pads that you can't program in that, they will just send what they send. If you've got some software, what you can make it do is it can actually change what each pad controls. GarageBand doesn't allow you to do that. So yeah, the question was about GarageBand. So other DAWs, you could just play the drums and then say, okay, this one is actually the snare, but I want it to be the tom drum. And you can change that in your software. Uh, with Garageband, you can't. So what you'd need to do is be able to change that on your drum kit or on your drum pads and actually change which note is being sent by which pad, if that makes sense. So short answer is yes, and in fact i've I'm way overdue on a video where I actually hook up my uh, Elisa's or my daughter's Elisa's electronic drum kits to um, to my iPhone or iPad to actually show that in the in the in the flesh. really doing well with my words today, aren't I know. <laughs> I do say this about things recorded live. You're going to get something really slick and really informative or sometimes you'll get a bit of a train wreck and I'm I'm, I'm heading down towards that train wreck path at the moment but hopefully uh, the track straightens and we go through the tunnel and come out the other side. Okay, weird train analogies are over. Question here from Harold Gilchrist. Hello from New Jersey. Yes. Uh, Which iPads, if any currently, will work with a four-channel interface? That's a good question which after a quick sip of water, I shall answer. And the answer is basically most of them. So I use an iPad Air 2. It really comes down to um, the processing power of the iPad. So I wouldn't suggest using anything less than an iPad Air 2. But if you're rocking an iPad 2017 or 2018, uh, any of the iPad Air 3 sort of models and definitely any iPad Pro, I think you'll be absolutely fine with a four-channel interface. Like I said, I've recorded four mics at once on my iPad Air 2. I've also done it on my iPhone 6S. So yeah, multi-track recording is not quite as hard as as you'd think on on the actual processing power um, recording in, because it's just recording in audio itself. It's when you then get up to like 32 tracks and you're mixing as well, and you're adding effects and you're doing other things. So maybe if you had 20 tracks and then you were trying to record four tracks on top, uh, you might run out of processor power and memory at that point. You might need a, a faster iPad. But yeah, definitely if you're just recording your first four tracks and then your second four tracks and you're doing them all at once, I think you'll be golden. Alrighty. Uh, Gino, hello to you. Gino Therese, my buddy from over in Chicago. Uh, question here from Solrack M7, who's here live, and welcome to you. A great supporter of the channel here. Uh, there are so many rumors that Apple is going to remove the lightning port. If that happens, how are we going to do the MIDI controller on GarageBand? Supposedly going to be in two years. Uh, yes, so uh, and hopefully that was answered uh, in sort of my initial rant there, uh, where I talked about the, the USB-C question. So yes, if they move from Lightning to USB-C, and this is why, again, I keep telling folks, if you're building your collection of interfaces and other things, using the USB standard is actually a pretty good idea, because USB is not always going to be around. I'm never going to never say always, but you can convert it to Lightning for now, and you will be able to convert it to USB C when Lightning is surpassed by USB C. So that is why I say use your USB stuff now. So for me, I've got the Steinberg, I've got Focusrite Scarlett 2i2, I've got a Steinberg UR22C. They're both USB, one's USB 2, one's USB 3.1. Uh, if and when I get a new iPad. Pro Gen 3 with USB-C or the iPhone 12 has USB-C and I want to get one of those then it'll be no problem. I just need to buy a USB to USB-C adapter and plug in the rest of my rig and the same with even with your your USB hubs and things like that. You'll just need a USB-C hub as opposed to a USB-A hub but then everything else should work fine and dandy but thank you for your question. Question here. From David Hodges. Uh, when I close a new project and go back to my GarageBand folder, I you I lose it among all the projects called My Song One or My Song Three Hundred and Twenty Eight. Is there a way for it to be right at the top? Uh, yes, and in fact we've already had, this is why I love this, Uh, we've already had folks answering the questions. So you can, uh, Bubba has responded and said, yes, you can sort the menu by date, which you absolutely can. You could also use the recent folder. So if you look at the bottom of your GarageBand, there's your file section, and then there's a recent section. And that will actually bring any recently saved projects up to the recent section. What I actually do is I am a little bit pedantic with this stuff. I have a folder structure set up within my GarageBand iOS folder, which has things like uh, separate folders for ideas, for in progress and for completed projects. So instead of having to scroll through 328 different projects, I know that if it's one that I'm working on, it'll be in the in progress folder and there'll only usually be two or three projects in there. So it makes it easy to find. And then yeah, all of my other stuff is archived in other folders. So I think a bit of folder structure and file maintenance will probably help you out there, David, to keep those things in order for you. I'll just see if we've got any other questions. And uh, so uh, some follow-up here from Solrack. Uh, no, they say no port for charging, only wireless charging. I mean, if they remove the port completely, there's nothing there, just wireless charging. I would, I would not be... Shocked so much that I would fall off my chair, but I would be super surprised if Apple replaced the port entirely and didn't allow you to connect anything to your iPhone. Um, I can understand maybe they'll Yeah, see, I can't even really think that they'd go just wireless charging because wireless charging is not suitable for all applications, and yeah, it it seems like it would be a bad idea. I don't know if anyone knows anything more. Let me know, but I I don't think that I think there's too many things that people use that they hook up to their phones that they need to send data that the the charger port is not just for charging. Plus, I guess for earphones, you you'd have to use Bluetooth. If I, maybe this is the future, maybe I'm naive, and maybe that will come, but I certainly hope not, um, and that's yeah, a little bit scary, actually, to be honest. <laughs> but we won't worry about the future, you know what? We, we can't control it, for starters, and uh, we can only really worry about what's happening right now. Let's jump back to a few more questions here, and uh, we'll finish off. So, we have a question here from uh, Pat Davis. Who says, I have a Scarlett 2i2 which uses the USB cable as a power connector and the signal connector. If I use lightning to USB connector, will by iPad power the interface? So the short answer is no. (laughs) So what you need to do is if you are using an a, an audio interface that uses USB for both its power and its data transfer, which is most, the Steinberg range have the separate power, which is why I use them, but most of them will actually have, uh, will actually have that. Um, so what do you need to do? Well, you need to use either the Lightning to USB 3 adapter, which has a separate power or separate Lightning port as well, and make sure you plug that into AC power. That's enough power sometimes to give your iPad or your iPhone enough power to then power up your interface. So that's option one. Option two, and my preferred option, is to use a powered USB hub. And I do, I've do i done a heap of videos about these. So if you search Pete John's USB hub, you're gonna find a heap of information. The reason that they're good, and we've talked about it a little bit in the show already, is that you can plug in multiple devices, and then you can also power up. So it plugs into power, so all of your devices get power. Let's say you've got an audio interface, a MIDI keyboard, a mouse, and a typing keyboard. You can plug all of them directly into your hub, then plug your hub into your iPad, and then you're off to the races. You can use your MIDI keyboard, your audio interface, your mouse, your keyboard, all at the same time, and all will be powered up and running and working like a charm. So that's my recommendation. If you are getting into recording and you've got an audio interface like the Stein, not Steinberg, like the Focusrite Scarlett 2i2, that is a great option for you. So I hope that helps you out. Let's jump to the next question here. It's also about hubs, and this is a, this is one that I actually then had to go and ask, and I still don't have a good answer to this one. So if anyone here live or watching or listening on the replay knows an answer to this, hit me up, uh, Pete at studiolivestoday.com. I want to hear from you because uh, AJ uh, Arguello says, "Hi, Pete, I'm in the US. Have you seen an all-in-one portable power bank with a USB hub?" Now I've seen devices that are similar to this or that claim to do similar things. I haven't found that one killer device that actually does all of this. So what we're looking for is something that has a built-in battery, so like a RavPower, you know, the RavPower file hub, or just a portable battery that also has the ability to plug in USB devices to it and send data while powering them from its own internal battery. So it sounds like it should be simple, yeah? It's just a portable battery instead of just having one charger port or two USB charger ports. It just has four ports. They are powered and they also send data to your device. Uh, can't find it. Doesn't seem to exist. So what do I do at the moment? Well, I hacked together um, a, a USB uh, power bank and a, uh, and a hub and just connected those together. So if you are looking to do something like that, uh, I've done a video on that. So if you search again, if you search Pete John's portable USB hub, then you'll be able to see the hub that I, with the friend of, with the uh, help from my friend Clint, uh, he helped me put it together and it is just a battery, uh, which is then he made a cable and there's actually, you can buy those cables off the shelf and I've got a link to those in that video. And then you connect up your battery to your powered USB hub instead of plugging it into AC power and then you're good to go. You're ready to rock and roll. But a great question, and when it's one that I've been asking as well, it's always good to know that other people are asking the same question. So thank you for that one. Alrighty, we will jump in. We've got a couple more questions to get through. If you are here live, this is Final Call. This is Last Drinks. This is your last opportunity to ask a question if you're here live and you have a question for me today. But let's jump into this one. Uh, Hi, Pete. Dude, I want to ask. I transferred a project file from my iPhone GarageBand iOS 13 to my iPad Air iOS 12. As soon as I transfer it and try to open it on my iPad, it says your current iPad does not support the files. Do you have any idea how I can solve this? Um, No, I don't, because this is the problem. As soon as you use, uh, as soon as you open a project and then resave it in iOS 13, which is GarageBand 2.3.8, and then go back to try and open it in GarageBand 2.3.7, it won't open. You'll get that error, and it's super frustrating. The main reason it's frustrating is that the only things that changed in GarageBand 2.3.8 are things like the share sheet, and dark mode. So things that don't actually impact the file and the recording and the project at all. However, they're still incompatible. So I'm trying to think if there's any creative solution around this. I don't think so. You can obviously export them as individual audio files and then import them into your iOS 12. Um, Yeah, there's there's no way to keep the old version because as soon as you make any changes in iOS 13, it's gonna make it an iOS 13 file, and then you're gonna be out of luck if you want to try and roll it back to iOS 12. So, I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this one, uh, but unless anyone else who's here live has some great, uh, great advice for you that I haven't thought about, then yeah, I'm sorry, but I don't know the answer to that one. So, uh, we will, uh, we'll, we'll keep trying. Um, but yeah, I think I think your best bet would be if you've got some files in there to copy to. Uh, export them as audio files and then bring them over into the, the other version. There's no other way that I can actually think of. I'm sorry. All right. Okay, so on the Homewood stretch here, a couple more questions here. Uh, so Erin Bolland, Erin Bolland Music over on uh, Instagram. and uh, Make sure you check her out. She's really good, really good singer, guitarist, plays some good music. She's got a question here. Uh, I've turned my volumes way down, but I'm still getting lots of hissing on my live recordings. Uh, using setup is a Blue Yeti and iPad. Any suggestions on what I can do to reduce unwanted noise? And yeah, we have talked about noise quite a few times in the last few weeks on the show here. And the the there's a few suggestions, and I think I've talked about them before, and it sounds like you're probably doing all these already. So number one is to reduce the input gain on your microphone, which it sounds like you're doing so that you're not picking up a lot of that noise floor. So that background noise that you have uh, where you're recording is important. So make sure that you're in a room that you're going to be able to uh, record um, and get the least amount of sound. So turning off any fans or background noises, air conditioners, uh, computers that may have fans that are going to cause some of that hiss noise and then yeah trying to be in the smallest room possible i know it's hard for for you because you do videos of yourself playing and this is probably the hardest thing is that when when folks are recording themselves playing guitar and singing, they usually either don't want the mic in the shot or they are a longer distance from the microphone. So if you can see the distance I'm from the mic, for those watching on the video, I'm about probably 30 centimetres on average from the microphone. So uh, think about a ruler length, uh, probably closer in fact, probably about two third, half to two thirds of a ruler. As I get further back, so here's me getting further back to like a foot or and then to back a metre from the microphone, What that's doing is the the sound is is less. When I come back on the microphone, I, I would need to turn the volume of my microphone up, which is going to bring in more noise because I'm further away from it. So I guess the solution would be to if you and I know it's hard because you're live, uh, but if you had a yeah, if you had a second microphone, if you had an audio interface and two microphones, you could have one microphone right on your voice and one on your guitar, and then you'll be able to dial them right down, and then you're going to pick up a lot less noise. I see this with a lot of folks that are doing guitar vocals. That yeah, because you have to have the microphone say two meters away from you, even you have to then turn up the gain, and then you're introducing a lot of that room sound. So yeah, that it, it is a tough one. There's no real solution. There's things like shotgun mics. That can actually sort of get better pickup of longer distances, but for a condenser microphone, which the Blue Yeti is, and which most of your uh, condenser microphones will be, um, uh, then yeah, it, it can be. You'll pick up a lot of noise. So uh, the the other thing you can do is in post production, you can actually remove it there. So I use the app Bruce Free, and I talk about this a lot because I find it's phenomenal. If I've got a recording, uh, and I, I did a video during the week where I showed a recording of me playing in a church. And that had a lot of background noise. So I put Bruce Free on there. You sample like two seconds of the sound. It identifies the frequencies of that sound and it reduces them. So it's basically like an automated way to EQ out any unwanted frequencies, which includes that hiss sound that you get. So check out Bruce Free as well if you want to do that. Oh, and um, Audio Fix, the the app that I'm looking at at the moment, that I did a quick preview on last weekend, uh, that also has some good audio correction for videos and maybe worth a look. So hopefully that helps you out. righty, we are uh, about to finish up here. I think we've got um, one, yes, we'll, we'll sneak one more question in here. And that's related to DistroKid. Oh, I've got my, I've got two questions on the screen here. <laughs> uh, so DistroKid members. So this is from M.A. Qureshi, uh, at, at the DistroLock, there is written artist name, optional. This is causing copyright issues because our files will get fingerprint without metadata. I'm not quite sure what the question there is. DistroKid, written... So we'll, I'll talk briefly about, about DistroKid and releasing and copyright just so that, um, yeah, just so that I might... Maybe I'll cover the question here because I, I have had a lot of questions in recent times and I've done whole videos about this. But the, the thing about releasing your music is that... When you're released using DistroKid or Amuse or any other service uh, and you're releasing original music, you're saying, yes, this is 100% my original music. So if you put your your artist name and then the composer or the writer is all going to be you, then you're all going to be good. You can then choose with services like Amuse and like DistroKid to release to YouTube as content ID. And if you release as content ID, it means if someone else, uh, if someone else actually comes on and wants to... Uh, Use your music, it'll automatically identify that it's your music and it will flag it as a copyright claim. So that's all good, uh, but it can lead to problems if someone like me who uses your own music in your videos uh, don't release with Content ID claiming. Otherwise, you'll get claims from yourself on all your videos, and that's not going to be much fun. So that's my suggestion there. Um, If you're using other people who are writers or you're using samples or you're using loops it does get more murky because you could then get a copyright claim because you're using other people's music even if you've paid the rights for it or even if you've got a copyright on it um so yeah if you get automatically claimed on that you'll just need to go through the dispute process and then make sure that everything is good after that because yeah if you if it won't know So let's say you buy a license from a loop company or from just someone's created a beat and they've got a content ID on it and then you buy it from them for like $100, and then you put that beat behind your song, you release your song, it gets claimed by that original artist. Well, the, the system doesn't know who has and who hasn't bought a licence, so what you would then need to do is put a dispute in, say, I bought a licence from this person on this date, and then it'll go to them, and they'll go, yes, tick, that can be approved. So it's not the best system in the world, it's kind of, uh, you're guilty, and then prove that you're innocent, which is never a great system when it comes to things like this. But if you do have any other questions, or if you want to learn about distributing, your music if you again if you go to youtube and search pete john's uh, release music or pete john's distro kid which is one of the services i recommend or pete john's amuse which is the other service i recommend amuse is free So Amuse, you can release your music for free, but it has limited options. And DistroKid is $20 per year or $19.99 per year. And you can release unlimited music uh, with DistroKid and you get a bunch of other options with that. And it's generally a lot quicker as well than what Amuse is. So hopefully that helps you out. So we had a, a good mix of questions here today. So thank you to all of those that were here live. Thank you to the folks who submitted questions or asked questions prior that we answered here today. We talked we talked MIDI, we talked USB microphones, we talked noise, we talked distribution, and we talked, uh, we talked audio interfaces and headphones and how to connect all of those up. Uh, and we also, I went on a little rant there about the MIDI versus the audio. So hopefully you got some value out of some of that here today. Uh, head over to studiolivetoday.com if you want to get in touch or check out all of the other information and videos and things that we have over there. And until next time, I'll see you next time.